0: You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. A good, warm Sunday morning to you. Sometimes, life does not turn out as expected. And that can be Frustrating, but that can also be pretty rewarding, too. I haven't told you a lot about myself, but the last few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about my Grandpa Johnny. Grandpa Johnny was born in Kansas and spent his early years in Kansas, the son of a civil engineer, until he was six years old when he moved just up the road to Santa Fe, New Mexico. He spent pretty much his whole growing up years in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Well, except for a stint when his dad needed to construct a road from Hillsboro across the mountains. And they lived in Hillsboro for a while, New Mexico. But they lived all around Santa Fe and this, this uh, northeastern part of New Mexico. He ultimately graduated from high school in Santa Fe. And I just, I don't think that his life turned out as he expected it or as he planned it. You hear this fair skinned, light haired guy with blue eyes heads off to Oklahoma University to study geological engineering. And I I don't think those Okies probably knew what to do with a guy in moccasins (laughs) and wearing turquoise as he learned what it was to be a geological engineer. I don't think he expected to marry a younger woman who was in the dormitory, whose family ran the dormitory and cooked the meals. I just don't think he expected to spend his life working for oil companies in Oklahoma, in Texas, until he came back here to Albuquerque and raised his family as they got older and finally they retired and lived in Las Vegas, Nevada. I just don't think that he expected those things to happen. In fact, I think he'd be pretty surprised that we're here and he would be quite pleased that we're in Albuquerque, their favorite place to live. You know, my life hasn't turned out as I expected it or as I planned. I was born on my parents' first ministry in the plains of Colorado, in Lyman. Now, I've only ever met one other person in my entire life from Lyman. It's such a small place, and when people think of Colorado, they don't think of Lyman, because it's a bit more like Kansas. It's a bit more like the plains, but on a clear day, you can see the Rockies in the distance from Lyman. Well, my parents moved around. My father is and was a minister. He's now I guess a free minister, he's retired and working pretty much full-time for a church in Oklahoma City. But we moved around in Oklahoma and Nebraska and ended up back in my middle school years and high school years back in Colorado. And when people would fill out my high school yearbook, I don't think even then I knew I would go to Texas. I had no intention of going to Texas, but that's where I ended up went to school in Texas, and married a Texas girl. And that just totally transformed my view of Texas. <laughs> just revolutionized how much I love that place. And I also had pretty strong, you know, opinion not, about not going to Texas, and I certainly was not going to do ministry in Dallas. They don't need any more churches in Dallas, Texas. But you know where God led me? He led me to serve a church in Dallas, and a number of churches in Texas and in Oklahoma. Sometimes our lives just don't turn out as we expect them or as we even plan them to be. I do know that for my entire life I've been very intently focused on Jesus, on imitating the life of Jesus, and Donna and I together have had that as a goal not only for ourselves, but as we have raised our children. How do we raise them up to be disciples of Jesus? Now I don't know if your life has turned out as you've expected it to be. There's probably been some ups and downs. Some turns and some bends. Some roads that you hadn't planned to take that God puts you on. So I've been in this series over the last six weeks thinking about what it is to be a disciple. What does that look like? How do we have a goal, a target that we're aiming for, that helps us and transforms every moment of every day that we're a part of? And so we've been doing that together in this series that ends today, by the way, the Kingdom Now series. We've been looking in the Gospel of Mark at Jesus' first words. Not because there's some magical way to study the Gospels that look at Jesus' first words, but because I really feel like Mark is doing something with these first four vignettes or stories of what Jesus says. And we've attached those four things that he said to four little words. Be, do, say, and go. Trying to make us think a little bit more deeply and and memorably about what it is to be a disciple and what that might look like in the everyday. And each week, last week, we spent time looking at the calling of the apostles, and we drilled down and looking at how the calling of the apostles has all four of these, be, do, say, and go, but we looked a little more intently at the being with Jesus and the saying the things that Jesus said. So I'm refreshing your memory just a little bit. Being with Jesus means being present with Jesus. Being prayerful. Pursuing spiritual disciplines. Reading your Bible. In fact, going through your life, imagining yourselves in a partnership with Jesus, whatever comes your way. That's being with Jesus. Well, we also spend a long period of time on saying the things Jesus said, which means understanding and and being able to share that very simple message of the good news of the kingdom of God. The great news that God's reign is here, and we can enter it and be a part of it. We can be welcomed into it, And imagine our lives in that message. So it involves us being able to say that message of the good news of the kingdom of God. Well today, today we go to another story. We follow our apostles a little bit further down the road, all the way to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look and read in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 13. And if you need to get your blood pumping, and if you would like to join me in standing, please do so. Or if this is one of those days when you want to stand in your heart and just be nestled down and keep your coffee close, then that's good. You can do that too. Mark chapter 6, starting in the second half of verse 6. Then he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And he ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Then he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you, As you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they proclaimed that all should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and cured them. Now a few more things happened, but I want you to drop down to verse 30 when they come back. Mark 6, 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So these apostles, commissioned just a few chapters earlier, are now given their first mission. These folks that have been called to be with Jesus, named the sent out ones, are actually sent out. And in this situation, they're sent out without the physical presence of Jesus. To go out and to do some things out in the world. For sure, to preach, preach the good news of the kingdom of God, but also to cast out demons and to heal those who are sick. Now, this is an interesting move where these called ones that are labeled the Twelve and labeled the Apostles, which means sent, are now actually sent. Up to this point, they've been watching and observing. They've followed Jesus around. They've been listening to what he's had to say. They've been watching the things that he has done. But now these observers are full participants in the mission, and they're going out on their own. Now, it's odd to look at this little story because they are in every way being sent out with next to nothing. They are given a walking stick, and that seems like that's it. Right? They are said, they're told, don't take a bag, don't take an extra cloak, don't take any money, go out there with a free walking stick. Okay? These folks are going out there with nothing. I mean, Jesus is the exact opposite of a good mother. No, don't take any money. No, no, no extra coat for you. Uh -uh. Yeah, go ahead and wear shoes. That's fine. Here is your walking stick. It's odd. But what they're sent out with is next to nothing because God is going to be the one providing for them. Through other people. That's not the way a lot of us function. We don't want to rely on other people for our place to stay. To rely on other people for our food, but that's how they're sent out. Now this is a strange little story. Strange story. You know, if if I were to tell you today that, you know, I'm trying to figure out what this means for us today in 2019 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, it's kind of hard to draw a straight line. I mean, if we were Bible literalists, then what we could do is position people at the door to take away your coats as you leave, have you leave your purse and your wallet. If you've got your coffee, you're going to need to leave that. All snacks need to stay behind. We take your money, the keys to your car, the keys to your apartment, and we say, and here is your free walking stick. We'll see you next week. So that's what I think we're going to do today. We're going to try that out. Is that, I mean, we, we believe the Bible... Well, this is at the point where we get to the door and you say, you know, I'm I'm not really an apostle. Uh, I'm not going to sign up for this. I don't want the walking stick. I'm going to keep the keys to my car. Thank you. It's an odd story. Where Jesus sends these folks out in pairs. And they go out. And they preach this message of repentance and turning. And they cast out demons and they anoint people with oil. And we look and we see, that is not me. And so I wonder, what does this mean for us? How does it help us become transformed disciples? How do we begin to think about ourselves as apostles sent on a mission? In a strange story where it seems like Jesus is just sending them out for homelessness. A planned homeless venture. Well, what I want us to do today is we're going to look at these things, this being and doing this saying and going with Jesus, and we're going to drill down on two of them, kind of like we did last week. We're going to look at the doing and the going. All four of these show up in this story where Jesus invites them to be with him. He sends them out to proclaim and to do the things that he does, and they have all four of these gathered around them. Like, even in the very end, in verse 31 through 32, They gather around Jesus and they tell him what they did and they tell him what they taught and they are called to be with him separately. All of these things are present. So let's look at the doing portion because this is probably the one that makes us the most uncomfortable. If we were to talk about Yes, we're going to head out there to tackle demon possession and to heal people. That makes us a little more uncomfortable as we think about imitating the apostles. We look at the process and we see the apostles as first disciples who don't always understand and who make mistakes and who are opinionated and who are elbowing trying to determine who is the greatest among them. And we get that part. That that feels like us. But when you turn to healing people, witnessing before government officials, facing physical abuse or death, that's where we begin to say, you know, I really don't think I signed up for this. That's, That's not my mission. So what I want us to do in looking at the doing, the doing the things that Jesus did, is kind of give you a contemporary explanation for how we might look at Casting out demons and anointing people with oil. Okay? Is that fair? If there's there's one thing that makes people uncomfortable, it's to talk about demon possession or to talk about healing because we just wonder what in the world we're supposed to do. Well, first off, as Christians, we believe in a spiritual world. We believe there is a God. So it's not too unusual. It's not too big of a step for us to think about the spiritual world that is out there as christians we also believe that god provides us his spirit to live in us that's something that we want that kind of partnership with god we also are the kind of people that are pursuing the fruit of the holy spirit galatians 5 love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control these are the products the produce that come out of our lives when we're full of the holy spirit we must pursue them we must nurture them it's also possible for us to nurture other kinds of spirits right we can get very angry on occasion and it's possible for us to nurture that spirit of anger we can nurture a spirit of greed and call it thriftiness. We can nurture within ourselves a spirit of bitterness. Where we, someone's hurt us and we hold that and we nurture and develop it. Okay? There are lots of spirits that we can give food and give fuel in our lives. But the Spirit of God is inviting us to pursue love and joy and peace and patience to be controlled by another spirit now when we look at demon possession or when we look at healing we're talking about something that might have different terminology today i don't think anyone will be able to give you a perfect one-for-one description of what demon possession might look like today i wonder and maybe you've heard this before If there are not things that happen to us psychologically or mentally, afflictions that affect our mind that might be similar to demon possession. Is that possible? God, in speaking about doing the things that Jesus did, is saying this is not as it should be. When our minds are controlled or attacked by things outside of us, we need God in our lives. And sometimes that means that we need to use medicine and counselors. Sometimes it means we need to change our diet and our habits of exercise that change how our mind functions. But there are things outside of us that can control us. It's the same thing physically. If we were to talk about healing, there are things that might get wrong with our bodies. Ways that our body might even attack itself. And I think that what we're seeing in the life of Jesus is this expression of the kingdom of God where God says these things of the mind that get expressed in the body are not as God intends. They're not what God wants. And we are seeing through Jesus the outward expression of the kingdom of God, what it means to come fully under God's reign and not be resistant. Now I know it can be kind of an unusual path to travel to look at demon possession and healing. What I want us to do is to be able to recognize that there is a spiritual world out there. And that at times we can be controlled by things that are outside of our control. That come to us from our DNA. That come to us from chemicals that we've made or from our environment. From habits that we've been exposed to or people that we've been exposed to. Right? things that influence and shape us. And God can partner with us in writing these, in putting evil to bay and pushing it aside. So if I were to get very simple on what it means to do the things Jesus did, I'm talking about service and ministry, where we can be like Jesus and announce the kingdom of God, but also be like Jesus in that we're embodiments of that kingdom of God, that we're expressing what it is to live a life under the control and under the reign of God. Being a part of First Christian means that people are involved in service and doing things like Jesus did them. Some of you are involved in the homebound ministry. Others are involved in youth ministry or children's ministry. In fact. There are real needs for us to be more deeply involved in the life of this congregation. You probably don't need me to tell you or to highlight what was mentioned in the Connections video, but Amanda Stoddard, our children's minister, needs some new adult children's volunteers. She's got a lot of great volunteers, but there are some holes that need to be filled. So if you've not been involved in a while, we really need you to be involved. We need you to do the things jesus did to be present in serving and ministering in a time of need well when we talk about doing the things jesus did we're not talking about having simplistic answers for diseases and death that come our way we are speaking not simplistic truths of god wanted someone and they go away Or that, well, I'm sorry that you're wrestling with that healing. No, we're not speaking about simplistic things. We're talking about announcing and being part of the reign of the kingdom of God. We won't fully see it expressed here. Death will not always be beaten. The disease will not always be beaten. Perhaps you've thought about the fact that all the people that Jesus healed, even those that were brought back to life, they ultimately died. We all will face our death. But in Jesus' teaching and in his life, we see God's intentions for the world, that God's going to reign and God's going to rule. And as we pass through to our death, we've been involved in this life a training ground. A process of preparation to become a disciple like Jesus intended us to be. Well, that's a little bit about doing. That's actually a lot about doing. On the going section, the sending out, being sent on a mission with Jesus, we're sent as representatives of Jesus to be the presence of Jesus, doing the things that he did and saying the things that Jesus said. Are we comfortable really following Jesus, where he will take us? To go out into our neighborhoods, to go out into our school systems, to be a part of government, being sent on a mission past where we are comfortable. As I look at what goes on in local governments and in national governments and in the agencies that are overseen by government. I ask myself the question, where are the disciples? Not where are the people that will say that they are Christian, but where are the people that will act as Christians, who will do what needs to be done, to not be divisive and not be focused on their own benefit, but on the greater good of everyone. That is huge. And I think this going might sound a lot like doing, right? If we're going out and we're doing the ministry of Jesus. It sounds like mission and ministry are the same. But I think there's this nudge, this pushing of God for us to move beyond our comfort zone, to live out in the world among people with different views from ours, to listen, to, those, to be around those who might have different beliefs from us, And to actually be present as a disciple in the midst of the world. This is very important. And as I see the development of disciples, I see that that takes place. Where you start out following, and you're observing, paying attention. But then you get a chance, like Jesus offers the apostles, to actually practice it. To get ready for that time when he will not be physically present with them. Isn't that a smart move on Jesus' part? To send them with his authority, to give them gifts, but to get them ready for the time when they can't look him in the eyes, when they must draw upon him as a spiritual presence in their own heart and lives. As I look at this church, our family, a first Christian, I intend for us to be a disciple making place where we are producing people that look like Jesus, who are acting like Jesus in the world. That's that's what we want. And I think that's what Jesus was about. If you look at the Great Commission, he desired to make disciples. And he sent us out, go and make disciples of all people. He He didn't say go out there and start programs or build churches. Though we use the building of churches, and the starting of programs. But he pointed them out there to make disciples. So all of our resources, our finances, our buildings, our people are driven in the direction of making disciples of Jesus. This being and doing, saying and going helps us get our arms around some real practices. Whenever we're being with Jesus, it's kind of like Speaking about prayer, we're praying with Jesus. Whenever we're doing the things Jesus did, what we're talking about is ministering, service with Jesus. When we say the things that Jesus says, we're going back to our central proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, who embodied the reign of God in the world. That's our message. It's very simple. And when we go, we become aware that this is a mission, that we will go to unexpected places, unexpected frontiers, because we're not on our mission, we're on God's mission, and He's taking us. If I go even further, if I say, All right, well, what does that really look like to be a Christian at First Christian? Well, it's pretty, it's not going to be surprising. Someone who is a disciple at First Christian is one that is gathering for worship. They are focused upon God, and they make that a regular priority. Someone who is a Christian at First is involved in some form of a group. Maybe that's a Bible class like that is going on right now during this assembly and will go on during our second worship service. It could be a group that meets during the week, a small group of people that hold one another accountable, to the study of Scripture, and to prayer, and to growing as a disciple. I think it's also important for a disciple to be giving their time and their money. Whatever portion of it seems right for you, but giving of yourself to what this gathering of disciples is all about. So when we hold up a target like that, it helps us to know where we're going. We're wanting to become like Jesus. Can we imagine where God might take us? I know I have ideas, but I know that my ideas will pale in comparison to where God wants to take us. Especially when I look at how my life has turned out, or even thinking about my grandfather's life, there are so many great rewards and blessings when those lives are turned over to God. Are there difficulties? Of course. But it's always so good when we go with God. Sometimes I wonder what it was like for Peter at the very end of his life when he chose to be crucified upside down. Did he think about the trajectory of his life? Did he think about the time that he watched Jesus die on the cross? Did he go back further still to the times when he tried to correct Jesus? Or when he boldly was the one to say Jesus is the Messiah? Or what about the time when he was just minding his business, mending nets on the side of the Sea of Galilee? Could he have imagined what his life would be like? Could he have imagined how his life affects ours? Maybe it's time we give up our own expectations and just get ready to run with God, to run forward into this life of discipleship, where these words, being, doing, saying, and going, Give us a frame to think about each moment of each day as the place where we become disciples. Not far off in the future, but right now today, with our kids, with our grandparents, with our spouse, and with our friends. Let's pray. Oh God, you are such a good God. And we thank you for giving us life. We thank you for the life that you've given us, the good, the bad, the in-between, and we just express our gratitude to you. Father, our desire, our heart's desire is to be more like your Son, to be full of your Holy Spirit so that we can radiate what it looks like to live in your kingdom and invite people into the goodness that is there, the joy that is there, and the peace that is there. Would you please strengthen us this week as together we walk with you into the future that you've prepared for us. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.